Hi, I'm Rob. Tale number 20. A Stranger in the Night. I had been in Norway for about two months. I was staying with several friends in a cabin in a small town north of Oslo. The cabin sat on top of a small mountain and belonged to my friend Jan Espen. Sometimes Jan Espen would stay with us there. Sometimes he would stay at his house with his family closer to town. We were very isolated and saw almost no one. We didn't have a car, so we spent most of our time in and around the cabin. We were there in the summer, and it was beautiful. By day, you could walk along small streams or hiking trails without ever seeing a soul. And at night, we would sit out back by a fire, looking at the stars, hoping to see a moose, and occasionally we would even see the aurora borealis. Jan Espen warned us that we should not get lost, because if we got lost and went south, we would get to Oslo, which was fine. But if we got lost and went north, it was 500 miles before civilization. It was a situation that could get bad quickly. Our cell phones did not work there, we did not have internet, and we did not have a landline. So if something bad happened, we had to run down the mountain and find a house where someone had a phone. It was wonderful, but it's one of the few times where I really felt like I was on my own, if something bad happened. So, one night, we were in the cabin. It was about 2 a.m., and three of us were still awake. We were gathered around a small coffee table in the living room. Me, Brian, and Mikey. The cabin was really old. It was an old Boy Scout camp. And there were these gaps that had formed between the logs that made up the outer wall of the cabin that caused this low whistling sound when wind hit the cabin just right. And it was really creepy. And we were sitting there talking about how creepy it was. And and then Mikey started to talk about how it would be the perfect setting for a horror movie. And we all agreed. And then Brian started somehow connecting it to the movie The Blair Witch Project. How something like The Blair Witch Project could happen there because we were so isolated. And this was not like around the time The Blair Witch Project came out. This was at least 10 years later. But it's a movie where some kids go into the woods, they go camping, and they're terrorized and then killed by the legendary Blair Witch. And I remember when that movie came out, it really freaked me out. It still freaks me out. I think it's a very scary horror movie. But when it was released, a lot of people were convinced that it was real. It was like one of the first found footage movies that got really popular. Anyway, Brian starts talking about the Blair Witch Project, and he keeps going on and on about it. And then he starts to talk about how the Blair Witch was real. And then I start to push back because I'm like, I don't think the Blair Witch is based on a true story. I think they just made it up for the movie. And then possibly the strangest thing that will happen in this story took place. More strange things are coming, but this was very weird. We have no internet. You know, we have no TV. We can't watch the Blair Witch Project. But most of us have our computers there. And Brian gets out his laptop, and he has this folder on his desktop. That's labeled Blair Witch. That has like all these PDFs of like 911 transcripts, newspaper clippings, and it's all supposedly evidence that the Blair Witch really happened. He just has it there on his computer. I've since confirmed that the Blair Witch was totally made up. And I think maybe these documents were created for the marketing campaign of the Blair Witch Project in the late 90s, or maybe someone else created them on the internet. Or I don't know, maybe they're real and there's some conspiracy to cover up the existence of the Blair Witch. In these documents, there's stuff about missing kids, missing hikers. There was even something about people going missing from a cabin, which hit close to home. And I don't get scared very often. Like, 
I don't think I've been scared in a horror movie, supernatural sort of way in the 10 years since this moment. But that night sitting there, I was creeped out. And I think it's fun to be creeped out, but still, I was creeped out. And so we're sitting there and Brian is reading this police report. He's reading it out loud and I'm watching his face and his face begins to contort and his expression changes to one of utter terror. And he stops reading and his face is frozen in this horrible expression. And I think maybe some sort of medical emergency is about to happen or something. And you could just see the fear and that made me scared. And Mikey could see it that made him scared. And I'm like, Brian, are you okay? And he doesn't say anything. He just points. And I turn around and look to where he's pointing. It's a window and there's a man standing outside the window. And he waves and knocks on the glass. He turns a headlamp on, and we can see his face, and he's smiling, and he points to the front door. He wants us to open it for him and talk to us. And a debate takes place between the three of us. I remember Mikey saying he looked loosey-goosey, whatever that means. Eventually, we agreed upon this plan. Brian and I would open the door and walk outside and talk to him. We would not let him in because there were some other people sleeping in the cabin. Mikey would stand in the doorway with his hands behind his back, holding a giant butcher knife. And if things went south, Mikey would jump in and save us. So Brian and I walked out the front door. Mikey took his position and we talked to this stranger that had just approached our cabin in the middle of the night. He was wearing a headlamp. He had on hiking boots and what looked like hiking clothes. He was wearing a small backpack. He could not speak very good English. And we could not speak Norwegian at all. And he just kept saying, Lake Marie, fishing. Lake Marie, fishing. And you could see like a collapsible telescopic fishing pole hanging out of his backpack. So it seemed like he wanted to go fishing at Lake Marie. And we knew right where Lake Marie was. Our cabin was on top of this small mountain, as mentioned. If you looked one way, you could see civilization. And eventually you would get to Oslo if you walked that way. And then on the other side of the cabin, you could see down into a valley that seemed vast and endless, and the place you never want to get lost. It was primarily made up of a heavily canopied forest, and then there were some open meadows, and there were several what I would call ponds, but they called them lakes, and the closest one was called Lake Marie. It was maybe a half a mile away. In the daytime, you could easily see it standing next to the cabin looking down into the valley. At night, you couldn't really see it, but we pointed it out to the hiker, and we said, Lake Marie is that way. Take the trail that way. And he seemed to understand English better than he could speak it. And then he took off towards Lake Marie. Mikey walked out of the house, still had his butcher knife in hand. And the three of us watched the hiker's headlamp as he made his way down our little mountain into the valley. His light just got smaller and smaller. And he got to the bank of Lake Marie. And he just stood there perfectly still. His headlamp wasn't moving. It wasn't like he was setting up camp. And we watched him for a few minutes. And then we got bored, I think, and went inside. And then we came back outside like a half hour later, and he was still standing on the bank of the lake. And then his headlamp went out. So we went back inside and went to bed. The next morning, my friend Jan Espen, who owned the cabin, he came for breakfast. And then my friend Hanna, who was also Norwegian, she came up from Oslo and joined us for breakfast as well. And we told everyone what had happened last night. And they sat around the breakfast table, riveted. 
After we finished, Jan Espen said, you know, that is really strange. And he said, two things stand out. First, this cabin is kind of a vacation home for me and my family, but we used to live here. And in all the time that we lived here, and in all the time that we've had it as a vacation home, we have never had another person approach the cabin at all. So for it to happen at two in the morning is really weird. And then the second thing is Lake Marie is a dead lake. There are no fish in Lake Marie. There's this silt that's in the lake that makes it impossible for fish to live there. So that struck all of us as really strange. Breakfast ends. Jan Espen takes everyone into town to get groceries and things like that, except for me. And then Hana also stays. So it's just me and Hana at the cabin. We start talking about the stranger in the night again, and she has kind of a different take on it. And she's like, you know, it sounds to me like he might have been in some kind of distress. That never really occurred to me, but she seemed more worried about him than freaked out. Hannah and I had a picnic planned for that day. We were going to go down to one of the other lakes and eat lunch. She packed us some cheese, some crackers, and a bottle of champagne. Hannah When she bought wine, she always bought champagne because she said it made her feel like she was celebrating and she wanted life to be a celebration. So no matter the occasion, she was drinking champagne if she had a choice. So our food is packed. We walk down the mountain and into the valley right towards Lake Marie. We're not going to Lake Marie. We're going to go past it. But of course, we stop and look to see if the hiker's still there. And we see the hiker's backpack. And we also see his headlamp just kind of laying on the ground. Hana calls out to him. And eventually, he comes walking out of the woods. She introduces herself, and they start talking, and I have no idea what they're saying because they're speaking Norwegian. And as the conversation goes on, you can tell it gets kind of more and more serious. And then Hanna leans over and tells me that his brother died. And when they were kids, they used to go fishing up here. And he looked at a map, and he figured it was Lake Marie. So he had planned a fishing trip for himself to kind of remember his brother. But it wasn't going to be for a while, And then one night he just got really sad and decided he had to go fishing right then. So he drove up, walked up the mountain in the middle of the night, and that's when we saw him. And then Hana told him how we had been scared of him and how Mikey had the knife. And he began to laugh and kept laughing. And she told me what she had told him. And we all started to laugh. And he was laughing so hard he was almost crying. And then Hana asked him if he had any food. And he said he had some energy bars. And she said, well, for what you're doing, I think you deserve better food. And... She gave him our picnic, and at first he wouldn't take it, and then I suggested to Hana, you know, maybe we should offer to eat it with him, and she said, no, 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 let's leave him alone. And then I said, maybe we should tell him that this is a dead lake and there's no fish in here, and she said, no, no, that doesn't matter. Finally, she convinced him to take the food, and we went back to the cabin and made sandwiches. And I don't really blame us for being scared that night that the hiker approached the cabin, But at the same time, I really appreciate that Hana did not react in fear. She sort of immediately understood that this was a person in distress. And it wouldn't surprise me that when she was packing the picnic, she knew the whole time she was going to be giving it to the hiker. She was that kind of person. And she's no longer with us. And it's really sad. She would have loved this podcast, I think. And if she were still here, she would have been a big part of it. So this final episode of season one is dedicated to my friend Hana. Rest in peace.
We will be back in a few months with season two. And in the meantime, I'm going to put out some bonus episodes. So those should start popping up in a couple weeks. Rob Tells Tales is produced by me, Rob Tiffin. I had some additional editing help from Ben Lamb. The cover art is by Marcella Johnson. She also came up with the title. The end credits music is by Poddington Bear. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at robtellstales.com. This podcast would have not been possible without Ben, Marcella, and Melanie. Thank you, and thanks for listening.